0: Welcome to our newest adventure for First Responder Wellness, No One Fights Alone, in-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the First Responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard.
1: Welcome back to the No One Fights Alone podcast. Austin, this is going to be our last one of the season. Yeah, and I get to play a different role. I get to be the main host. My my life's goals have been completed, <laughs> buddy. It's been an honor.
2: This has been a absolutely fabulous year of doing these podcasts. Had some with you, uh, and had some fantastic guests on. And today, Ben and I are going to sit in the uh, interviewee seats. Yep. And you're going to take
1: us on a ride. Yeah. Well, this is there's there's a reason I wanted to end on on this particular topic, and you know interview you guys on what you got going on because first off i think it's really cool i've sat in it but we're going to discuss your your guys's training your your mental health training is that the right term for it? is that what you want to call it uh, I'd,
2: I'd probably call it a wellness training more of a whole wellness training this is a this is a broad approach it's same content we'll get into it it's yeah. same same content just maybe a different lens and a different delivery system but yeah yeah this is uh It's not anything new under the sun.
1: Well, I think it's for, well, first, I think it's important to talk about something. We've all sat in trainings, right? Whether mental health training, whether it's competency or HR or whatever. Uh, I think across the board, you could say that people don't really care for them. Would you say that's fair?
3: I think most people would associate training with their mental health declining during a training.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I get really depressed when I have to sit. (laughs) for eight hours and listen to somebody talk. You know, there's, there's,
2: there's funny quips that, that like their uh, ears only can absorb as much as their butts can endure. You know, those kind of little quips yeah. are, you know, the reason they're quips is because there's an element of truth behind some of those, you know, but the, uh, the generic feeling is training is, you know, a mandatory, uh, you know, vomitous, um, uh, obligation in the first responder industry and we have to do it you have to get it out of the way um, one of the one of the aspects of even a deeper dive in that is is wellness training or mental health training is just
1: absolutely grueling well if you're speaking of quips, real quick i've still been waiting for you to take this one to heart You know, take the cotton out of your ears and stick it in your mouth, you know. (laughs) I've been waiting for Brad to to take that one to heart. Yeah, think about what that means. (laughs) That's so deep, Brad. (laughs) What would you say? I didn't. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Um, No, you're right. I, I think that it's just, it gets to be brutal. And so let's hear, Brad, your experience from when you were on duty and what you had to experience in the training aspect. Like what? What were your thoughts about it? So from a, from a, you know,
2: when I was working perspective, um, training, well, later, you know, having, having roasted the ranks and, and in leadership position, I saw the benefit of it, how it was important and the quality was even more important that you, I needed to, you know, put quality training in front of my people. Um, there, there was a, a Um, method to the madness, so to speak, of getting, you know, getting people's attention and keeping them in tune with certain things. And there's aspects there's, uh, you know, there's levels of, nobody wants to talk about it, but there's levels of importance of that training, you know, the the training on certain low level policy points that are obligatory, but you just, Oh man, I have, I have to go to HR training again, you know, but then, you know, the higher levels of maybe use of force or driver level training or, or you know, firearms training uh, that are a little more fun and pertinent and will get you in a bind if you don't do it correctly. You know, people have a lot of buy-in to that. Where mental health and wellness training fits in that uh, has been my experience uh, is it's really not been high on the priority list of either a department or the trainee the the first responder I think that's for a variety of reasons I think it's um you know partly because it's you know we've talked um many times about it's it's really hard to look inward um and and really be honest with yourself but also uh up to and including you know I, I think some of the delivery or even content delivery uh has been has been a little lacking you know you have people delivering content that aren't experienced they don't know the the execution of how that works from that framework of having been down that road. So you have people trying to, you know, to pick on, you know, Ben's community, the mental health professionals who know clinically what's happening, but experientially they don't, you know, they maybe don't make that connection. And I think, you know, I think that's why, um, and I know we're going to get to it, but I think that's why, the training we're going to talk about is so valuable is because Ben and I co-present this training and we have these two lanes of traffic of a clinical and experiential merging together to say, Hey, we we want to bring you something that is relevant and pertinent and pertinent and important to uh, not just your work life, but your personal life. So yeah, that's been a little bit of my uh, experience. And and as an instructor also uh, you know, content the contents there but the delivery style um you know it's been pretty pretty lacking it's it's hard to it's hard to snazzy up and sexy up some of this stuff you know this this is it's really hard
1: and ben you've sat through some some trainings both on the peer support side and and everything like that what are your what are your thoughts behind them
3: uh yeah i'd say the there is that stiff kind of disconnected uh i have to endure this training i think that the part that's tough is that um it doesn't always offer some practical skills um and you might have moments in some of these mental health trains where it's like that's a good point (laughs) or yeah i do that Mm -hmm. and you know little light bulbs go off and i think that's that's helpful but I, i don't know if they end up being this is this is a practical thing i can say and do tonight when i get home from work or this is this is something that i really can um invest some more time and energy into it. Um, and we try and organize it in a way to help people have some, some practical successes, hopefully in the short term and long term. But, um, yeah, a lot of them end up being, yeah, they just, they're, it's a little ethereal. It's kind of out there. It's this floating nebulous thing that I'm, a, I'm supposed to get, but, uh, the, challenges with trainings is that there's so many different personality and learning styles in the room um there's probably not one training that's gonna really just cut through all of the crowd mm-hmm. and everyone's leaving with the same results so yeah those are those are some of the challenges that i've seen
1: well and and from the clinical side like i mean relatively speaking these mental health trainings are new ish right
3: yeah i mean i mean it kind of depends um there's there's some trainings that are you know what's wrong with your brain. You know uh, a lot of psychology is very problem focused, and so it's here's here's abnormal psychology, and there's a training to go along with that and make sure you don't have that. I, I think those are things that have been around for a while. Um, yeah, psychologists will will talk about some some relevant theories and some things like that, but for the most part, um, they don't obviously speak the language that first responders need to hear, or are to be honest, there's. They're, they're so wrapped up in theory that it ends up being a barrier and people just don't connect with the content.
2: But I think from a cultural standpoint, yes, it's, it's pretty new, uh, you know, a couple decades, uh, that's pretty new yeah, comparatively to, and, and to be clear, there's been a mental health training component for the public for first responders for a long time. Um, and, and sometimes people get lost in that, 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 specifically, you know, people not in the first responder world say, well, there's, you know, mental health training has been around for a long time, not for the first responder. Uh, And it started, you know, in some, some peer support elements, you know, back in the nineties as, you know, Hey, we know there's a different approach to try to keep our folks healthy. So peer support started coming on scene um, uh, veteran community, the same there's, you know, there was some, some really some data and some research showing that some, some training points. There was some, some, you know, ICISF, um, um, Jeff Mitchell and his, his crew were coming on saying, Hey, crisis intervention work. We know this works. The data proves it. You know, those are all pretty new concepts, uh, within the first responder culture. So, uh, and it's growing really fast. It's growing really fast to, to the point now Um, that it's like the hot topic, like everybody's flooding in with this, Hey, I want to do this too. I want to, I want to bring something to the table too, you know, for a variety of intentions. It may be, you know, monetary gain. It may be altruistic of, I want to help, you know, I want to, I love the community, you know, for, you know, not, not all of them are bad. Um, but there's a lot of people flooding the market with trainings now, uh, you know, and, and, and good intentions, maybe sketchy intentions, you know, wh- whatever. Um, but there's, you know, there's a lot out there now, as opposed to what they were even 10 years ago. You know, there's there's just dramatically more.
3: Well, it's interesting the the history that the the first responder world has had with the mental health professional, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not been a great no. history. So there's there definitely is a level of distrust of what are you up to? What do you want from me? um, from a first responder perspective of like this, this, this person's coming in to assess, possibly judge, maybe talk at, maybe counseling. But, um, most first responders that I talked to, they, they admit that either kind of early on in their education about becoming a first responder is that these mental health folks really aren't there to help you do your job. They're there, because something's wrong and it could possibly lose you your job and so there there is a element of this this person is not there to help me get better it's they're not on my team they're on a different team they have a different agenda and so i think there's a lot of folks that have a lot of hesitation about being vulnerable or connecting with those kind of resources because they they see it as um more of a red flag than as a as a place where you can actually get some support.
2: You know, I feel like that's a, a really relevant uh, uh, topic. It's, it's a disconnect of sorts between, um, you know, the, the, the most obvious, cause the obvious example for me would be, you know, a, 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 an agency's leadership wants the best for its people, so it hires on a full-time mental health professional, yet the mm-hmm. low-level, frontline folks see that as very suspicious, very contentious, you know, very internal affairs-ish. And, you know, I've seen it so many, I've taught all across the United States. I've taught all over. And so many times what resonates is one, just one little confidence violation, and it is over. It is over. That, that entire program is doomed. In fact, we used to teach that part of the, uh, when I was putting peer support teams together confidence, the the, the the trust in that team is paramount. I mean, we were just you talking ruin about ruin a it. team
1: yeah like we're,
2: overnight. Yeah,
1: we were just talking about we it. We right were just having this.
2: this conversation about a team you yeah. know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's it's really sad because it steps back, you know, a decade worth of work that they've been putting in, which is really tough to see. But I think, but I think the point is oftentimes
2: um that I was making to, to Ben's point is, you know, the I think leadership wants the best for its folks. They you know they may not always you know, be well loved or well liked, or or maybe even they're making some mistakes, or you know they, they 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 maybe they've stubbed their toe here and there, um in in whatever they're doing. But you know you don't you don't rise to the level of a chief. To well, I know there's some people out there probably do believe that they have bad intentions, but you don't rise to the level of the chief to completely terrorize the agency you're leading. I mean that's that's just not commonly the case. You rise to that level because you love the agency you you love the people you want the best for the community and you feel like you're leadership so I think there's a component there that that is you know hey we hire on these clinicians and we're trying to keep our people healthy so what does that look like and I think that the you know the disconnect is that clinician not having the um you know not to bang on the clinicians but then not having that connection or not maybe knowing and I think that's actually growing too I think there are um, I know a, a clinician that is just fixing to um, start in a full time spot with an agency. Um, it's, a, it's a female in Oklahoma and she she's done all the ride-alongs, she's sent uh, first responders for years and she has the trust, the frontline level trust of that agency and the leadership level. That's but it's taken her years, years to do that. It's that's that's a hard that's a hard road.
1: Yeah. Well, and to I've I've talked to multiple clinicians that it almost does become adversarial with the leadership as well because they want to know what's going on. Like they want the pulse of what's going on with their people if there's issues, if there's things like that. And the clinician's like, I'm not going to tell you those things. And and that causes this adversarial relationship between the mental health professionals and the department as a whole.
3: No, it's a great point because the the, the administrative folks are like, I got to do my job. And part of my job description and personality style is to have control. And clinicians are like, I'm going to do my job, and my job is, that's none of your damn business, and I got to protect confidentiality, and I got to advocate for my client, and I got to help people be, you know, all these kinds of things. And unless you've got uh, some some maturity and professionalism on both sides of that conversation, there's ton of alignment, there's tons of common good that can happen but if people are rigid and don't communicate and don't sort that stuff out, which has been a major barrier for a lot of years, those, those things don't get um, sorted out. And so those, those, those two good people trying to do good things end up sticking in their little silos, just doing their thing. And they don't actually provide a comprehensive sort of solution that this, this, you know, community you know, that's such a great
2: point. I've, I've had the, uh, luxury of, of teaching enough that I've had phone calls back from both clinician and leadership, the clinician being, you know, how do I, uh, seeking, you know, experiential wisdom in that, which is great of, you know, how do I uphold my ethical obligation of confidentiality, but still navigate this when I'm not private practicing, I'm actually working for this agency. How do I, how do I do that? I, I, I need some input on that. Wow. That's how cool is that for a phone call and then and then calls from chiefs of saying i've got this this thing this clinician i don't know what to do with you know how do I, do I am i supposed to talk to him every day am i not supposed to talk to him every day where do i put him how does it how does it fit how does it flow you know it, it, am i do i have an expectation of knowing some of these things because i know you know on for frontliners the most obvious is promotion Right, how, how it's impacting your paycheck or your day-to-day work. So if the chief knows, I went to see Ben six times, is that going to impact my promotion? Can the chief know about
0: that? You know, all those little things where you get the weeds. The No One Fights Alone podcast is excited to announce the launch of our new merchandise line. Now you can show your support for our mission by purchasing one of our hats, shirts, or hoodies. Our merchandise not only represents our brand and message, but also supports a great cause. A portion of all proceeds will go towards helping individuals and families affected by mental health. Wearing our merchandise not only spreads awareness for our podcast, but also serves as a reminder that no one has to fight alone. Join us in showing your support and spreading the message of hope and community by purchasing one of our No One Fights Alone items today from our website, nofapodcast.com, nofapodcast.com.
1: Oh, yeah. one of my uh favorite examples is there's an agency in North Carolina where they put the department clinicians office directly across from the chief's office <laughs> how many yeah. people do you think went into that office
2: my first uh <laughs> when i was a when i was a frontline trooper uh, the department psychologist was a sitting major for us was a direct line link to the chief's office and the chief would commonly bring up things to the troopers. Hey, I know you went and saw Doc last week. How did that go? And you know, flabbergasted. Like I just revealed the innermost portions of it. and and you know, truth. Hindsight, now looking back, Doc may not have said a thing about yeah. anything, but just a perception of yeah. that violation of confidentiality and ruined him.
3: Yeah, and there might be a time in our future if. Let's say we win and make some massive steps forward when it comes to stigma. Then then maybe would this would be a different conversation, right? Mm-hmm. But the stigma at the moment is I have no idea what you did in that office with that clinician, but none of it's good. Can't be good. <laughs> yeah. 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 It <laughs> cannot be good. So so yeah. maybe there's a day when we're like, hey, out had a boy, out of girl, that kicked ass. You went to the clinician again. Woo! You know, I truth mean, is that, that's that, changing. That could be a thing.
2: There are there are some Chiefs that actually do pat's on the backs for hey oh yeah you're doing
1: great
3: that's yeah. awesome but yeah. we have a we have some work cut out for us in the, the stigma that the is apartment. not the norm but yeah yeah
1: well and to get into your training here I mean that's what the, the goal is to bridge the gap a little bit right. right like that's 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 the main goal especially when you guys put this together I got the joy to to be a part of you know you guys to signing this training so Brad I know. I know there's a lot of topics that are included. You got the trauma, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, suicide, relationships. I mean, talk talk about how you design this and what your goal is, and uh, you know Ben can talk a little bit about the clinical side after, um, but tell us a little bit about it. Well,
2: I think to kind of follow up on uh, something you said about the main goal. I think I, I I don't know that there's I think there's several goals that when Ben and I sat down uh, and started in on this, but but no doubt stigma. Was one of them of how can we how can we really start normalizing and humanizing the the first responder and to the family member that may or may not be going through something similar or same crisis. So that's one of the goals. Um, Humanizing the client was one of the goals. Humanizing the the client being the student um you know and and another one of the goals was um actually to bring a the concept of wellness in a um a chateau experience version uh and and you'll see some of the training information you'll see the chateau experience because i i believe you know having been a part of that uh, the, the chateau experience offers something just absolutely fantastic it it And it's, it's not banging you over the head with, you know, these hard things. It's actually, you know, helping and assisting, turning your head to looking within and and saying, how can we help you address some of these finer things? So, and I think the fun part of that conversation that you asked Austin is, is, you know, kind of how we arrived, because I still remember one of the first conversations I had with Ben. I said, Hey Ben, I'm going to, let's plan a time to sit down on the phone. I really want to understand what drives Ben Pearson. And we spent, man, we spent a absolute four minutes, right? (laughs) (laughs) It didn't take long. I taped it though. (laughs) The blackmail. It it, it, it is, it is absolutely, it was absolutely a fantastic conversation. I said, I told him, I I said, let's just pretend for a minute. I don't know you. I'm just, I'm just getting to know you. And let's tell me, tell me who Ben Pearson is. Tell me what drives Ben Pearson. Tell me, Tell me what your passions are. Tell me, you know, what 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 really the concepts of, of you being a clinical director are. And it really culminated into uh, this humanization of a person, of making that first responder, you know, a human. And one of the other concepts that resonated with me that still resonates with me today is we give people chances when other people don't. That speaks that speaks to the men Pearson pretty deeply as to what what we offer within this training.
3: the uh, The other piece I want to comment, though, in terms of the goals, is is a little bit of that that conversation a second ago about that stigma. There's so many doors that are closed for for first responders, and I feel like, especially in the last four years, right? Our culture has shifted dramatically, and there's such a negative. A uh, cloud hanging over this community. Uh, whoever has the the courage to step up to that door and knock is incredibly brave. But now there is this audience watching to see what happens at that door. So a, a piece of this training is saying, "Cool, let's bring the office to you. Let's 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 the things that really are going to change your life, the things that are really going to help you shift the empowerment, the inspiration, the the ability to do something really different." today. it doesn't always have to be with a clinician. It doesn't always have to be in that particular office. And so the idea is cool, let's bring the department in. let's bring everybody in. Even there's the brave souls that are asking for help and then there's at least a dozen people that are behind them in the shadows who don't know how to ask for help but are realizing like something's not right here. I am not okay. So I think the the training ends up saying cool, we'll we'll come to you and we'll help connect with you. Before you even have to ask for it, and and that's, I think that's going to make a big difference because, um, I mean, not only about the the feedback we've gotten has been really positive, but there's just other folks who just haven't had a chance to look in the mirror and recognize like, oh, that's that's me. I I need to be in this seat right now. Um, so I don't know if that makes any sense. No, I think but I, I think it, that's it. Incident. Absolutely
2: doesn't. And, and I'm going to circle back to the to the statement I made about you know Ben, been this this really heart, deep hearted concept of giving people a chance. The reason that resonated so deeply is, is I experienced that um, from a trainer level or or, or, no reframe that from a peer support level was that's what these people are looking for because they've already been put in a box. They've already been, you know, they've been labeled as, you know, broken toy or uh, he's that, he's that cynical asshole or, you know, whatever, whatever label, but oftentimes what we know is they're they're wounded or they're hurting or they're in pain or they're you know their their lifestyle choices have led them to a you know to a place that you know is is not who they are um so so the the concept of that giving people that kind of that second chance that's what that's what i tried to do with the curriculum how do we deliver that message how do we how do we unpack that in a day training, and 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 have the student, the recipient, those ears hear that passionate statement, that philosophical viewpoint?
1: So, what what I'm hearing, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, is the word that's coming to mind is preventative, right? Like, the, this the goal of this is actually to prevent somebody from crossing the threshold to where they're on the other side where they do need services inpatient residential treatment, whatever it may be. Right. Like that, that's what it sounds like.
2: Well, I think, I think to answer that or respond to that, I think, I think I'll back up a little bit and say, you know, you, Danny, Ben somewhere in there, the three of you or or you specifically had a vision for this long ago and called me a long time ago and said, Hey, I want to, Run something by you. Let me, let me see what you think. And I, I remember specifically one of the immediate responses I gave you was, if this is a selling beds concept for Chateau, I think it's important to point this out. Ben and I do this when we train is because my experience has been, I'm going to fall back on my experience, has been when a, an arm or an extension of a treatment facility brings training I'm not banging on anybody else's training out there, but that's just the reality. My experience has been if a treatment facility brings training, they're wanting you to use them as a as, as a client, as a as a place to send people for treatment. And I said at the beginning, I don't know if you remember this, but I told you then I won't do this if this is a cell bed's training. That's not what this is about. That's not what I'm about, and that's not what I build. That is absolutely not what this training is. Conceptually, this training is a standalone wellness training to make you a better human, make you a better first responder, make you a better human, make you a better husband, wife, father, mother, brother, person. So I think that's important to note um, because Ben and I, we point that out because we are. I mean, we're a, we're a wellness extension of Chateau Recovery. We can't can't ignore that you know, but for you know Danny Warner, the CEO and Ben Pearson sitting right here, the clinical director, their their heart and passion is how can we give back to this community? How can we do that? So when when I was brought on say, hey, let's put this together, it was, yeah, let's sit down and, and put this as a preventative training, a preventative arm, a preventative nuance of of uh, Chateau and really, Really pleased with where we are. We're we have Ben and I have put something together that we're really proud of.
1: Ben talk about what that looks like. Because I mean, there's the the conception of helping somebody, you know, become a better person, better officer, better husband, you know, whatever it is, uh, it seems like it's a difficult concept, which I think we we've come across that, right? When you guys are building this, you're like, how do we convey this in a way that does actually help people move forward? is the, the clinical idea behind this. I mean, it, it is your baby, right?
3: Yeah. <clears throat> um, there's, there's a few different pieces of it that I think are relevant. Um, the, the tough part is that a lot of folks that need help don't know they need help, and that's that's tough. Uh, every, every once in a while, we, we have an experience where we either are by by circumstance or some other person that we actually respect says, your shit stinks and you're not okay. <laughs> But short of those moments in your face, blinking lights like something really needs to happen, um, short of that, we're, most of the time we're kind of cruising around in survival mode and we're thinking we're getting away with it. It's, it's gonna be okay and've we've, we've squeaked out another day. So as, uh, as we talk about this training, it really is to help create some some insight. Uh, and some inspiration of there's things I can do I think one of the things that survival mode teaches us is that it's just the world is full of can'ts, and everything's dangerous and everything's exhausting so we want to help them understand that there's there's some things they can do today that actually makes a difference and and we want to help them look at the the more comprehensive perspective of, of being a whole person I, I think what's what's often off-putting about mental health trains is is that the message is we need to mental health the shit out of you, and then you're going to be a better person. And I, I think that ends up being adverse. I think it ends up shutting some doors. And so we we have a philosophy uh, that, that is part of the training that is saying, hey, let's look at the big picture of you. What if you weren't in survival mode, and you really had the ability to enhance your health In lots of these areas in your life? And what if you had a chance to do it in your own style, in your own way? You get to own this. No one else is in charge of it. No one's going to tell you what to do. And if it sucks, that's yours. But if it's great, it's also yours. And what if you were the person that got to teach this model to other people? I, I think that's part of how we humanize. It's part of how we reduce some of the shame. That's part of how we we get people out of this deprivation or scarcity mindset. Um, but I think that's a really important message behind our message is that, hey, there's there's lots of things you can do to get healthier today, whether that's talking about the physical aspects of nutrition and sleep. And we, yeah, we bring some data, we bring some science, we bring some stats and talk about, hey, this is, this is what's happening to you. You didn't realize it. You're just doing your shift. You're just trying to figure it out. But meanwhile, this is, uh, this is what's happening to your family, to your relationships, and you're going to have to address these things differently, more often, proactively. And if you do that, then here's the advantages of it. And I think p- people just aren't used to looking in that mirror and recognizing like, wow, I am pretty off balance. As we talk about values and about where do you want to be? Not just how do you get to your retirement, but are you going to like yourself after you retire? Is your family going to tolerate you when you get there? There's a lot of those kinds of things that are a big deal, but they often are kind of pushed aside. And we want to bring those things to the forefront and say they matter. Let's let's help you enjoy your life right now. Let's help you not just cope and put up with this survival mode, but let's actually help you find some purpose, find some connection, find some real meaning, and let's do it in a way that you can be proud of yourself. You can demonstrate you're a badass not just at work, but in lots of other areas of your life you can be proud of that and let's let's give you some practical ways to approach that and to kind of figure that out so part of part of the philosophy is is around some uh, core pieces of what we do as a program and we we hit on you know the 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 six different dimensions of wellness we talk about being you know a, a stronger uh, it's, a, it's a comprehensive model that talks about just being healthy. And again, the areas we've mentioned before, mental health, physical health, relationships, the family system, how you show up at work on a daily basis, those kinds of things. We, we talk about mindset. Mindset specifically has a lot to it, but that is an area that, that for the most part does not get addressed. We've got a culture that often is responding to symptoms, but we don't really hit on uh, the, the deeper experience or belief systems that kind of drives, drives that process. And then we we talk about the relationship we've got with stress. And so those are, those are areas that uh, the nice part of the train is that we don't have to give a technical, clinical, boring answer about each of these things, but we just need to tell them, Hey, there's some real possibilities.
1: Well, and it also sounds like, and tell me if I'm wrong here, the goal is actually to have these people take these abilities and not have to use a therapist right. to do all of this stuff. Like that's, or maybe, or maybe, I, I, they do. I think, yeah,
2: I think it's important to note that, that at the end of, at the end of the day, um, you know, we, we put in here, uh, there's, there, you know, to use, to frame out the word interventions, but it's basically, how can you do this? How can you own your own shit? Uh, and the intervention is some things you can do yourself. Maybe some things you need uh, a higher level of care to do. Maybe you need a therapist. Maybe you need a, a recovery group. Maybe you need a, you know, a, a an IOP or maybe, you know, higher level care, maybe you need a a residential treatment or some type of treatment program or, or, you know, some, some, and, and those are all laid out in the training. Those are, those are the end of the day, that's solution focused. There's, here's, here's some of those solutions. I think, um, and, and to back up a little bit here, I know, I know Ben hit on it, but I, I do want to draw out, you know, Ben's, you know, Ben's model, the, the you know, taking the Chateau experience out, the, the model really is, is kind of a three concept based of this six dimensions of wellness. And we break down what those are and it's, it's, um, within the culture, experiential speaking, um, you know, categories of wellness are pretty common. So you have this, oh, it's six dimensions of wellness. And I did the same thing. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I did the same thing. And, and the, the, but, but, when I'm sitting there listening or putting this together, but the concept of of that breakdown of those six dimensions is categorically there's things, subcategories of that, that we go into that are, that are really important. You know, spiritually speaking, what are your, what are your belief structures? What are your values? What are your, you know, are you, are you serious? Who's thought about that in the last five years? You know, not really. You know, those are things Ben, correct me if I'm wrong here. Those are things that we adopt as, as kids or adolescents and, and, we never really go back to them um, and and do a kind of a re hit a refresh or a fine tune or let's polish these off. We just kind of live our lives. And so next thing you know, we're like somewhere I got off track of what, where I wanted. So those are, you know, that's, that's, that's a snapshot of the six dimensions. And then we talk about window of tolerance and that's historically speaking, when we've taught it, that's where it really starts to resonate with people. Um, and and if you haven't dove into that as listeners, I would really encourage you to maybe do a little looking and, and because that's a that really resonates deeply with, with the students. Every time we've taught, it has yeah. been holy cow. You know? Ben, you want to speak to that in any in any frame?
3: Yeah. No, I, I think the um I think keep in mind that there's that the message is is relevant for everywhere we go. Everyone we meet. And again, as we as we help them do the the math of wow, you've been exposed to a ton, you don't have any of the support and the resources, and you've getting your ass kicked, and everyone in the in the, in the crowds like nod their head like that's me. So as as we talk about how do you develop some resilience, yeah, sure, there's a there's an aspect about being a badass in in, in these areas, um, but there's also something about uh, just again having having the choice to not be overwhelmed for a minute. What, what, I think there's a lot of folks that we talk to, they're just like, they, they've never thought about a lifestyle where they're not constantly stressed, tired, overwhelmed. And we're saying, what if we help you find a little bit of balance? It is funny. I having a conversation. And again, one of the goals of this training is that we want people that have done the work have really arrived at some pretty impressive conclusions and they wish to God their their buddies and their families had a peek into what these concepts are. Because for as you've been doing it for a while, they just kind of make sense. They're like, well, this is kind of... How come I didn't think of this earlier? That's, that is often the, the feedback we get. And uh, you don't have to go to treatment to really connect with some of these concepts. So... One of the one of the pieces uh, of, well, of our if culture. if I can bust in here, yeah. to kind
2: of follow that up to and including people that have reached out and said, "I'm in bad shape," mm-hmm. uh, out of our some of our classes. So, right. right. I mean,
3: sorry, yeah. keep going. No, no. There's a there's a lot of that, but you know, at the at the chateau itself, uh, I don't know how it evolved or how it even started, but there is what's called the Lucky Fuckers Club, mm-hmm. right. And these are folks who, again, decided to go against, uh, this little voice in their head that said, don't do it. Don't ask for help. And they, they broke through some of that stigma and they, they took a risk and they showed up and, uh, there's a, there's a real pride in being part of the lucky fuckers club because they're like, wow, I found it. This thing that I didn't know I needed for a long time, I've actually found it. And, uh, so we want to recycle a bit of that knowledge that comes out of that club. And, and part of that is us going back to departments and saying, here's here's what people that are ahead of you on this path, this is what they have to say. And even this week, I was sitting there with our, our first responder group. We're doing a support group at the facility. And we were talking about the routines of how do you mentally change gears when you get home from work? How do you change gears from being a detective Sitting around dead bodies and dealing with all this gruesome, darker parts of humanity, and then switch into dad mode or mom mode in four minutes. It's an impossible ask. But there are tricks and there are some things that help people slide into that other gear and enjoy the rest of their lives. But you just don't know that unless you've had a chance to kind of practice and kind of refine that process. And so we want to bring some of the insight and knowledge and some of the tricks from that club to people on the outside who just need a little a little something to to help them make it through until they can get to some professional help or something more organized but uh, it's so empowering to 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 go out of this dark hopeless disorganized overwhelmed state into okay I've got my bearings I think I have an idea of where I want to be I think I can get there and I'm not alone and I think I can hang in there a little bit longer until I can get these things sorted out. That's that's really one of our bigger goals in the training is to help people just be like, hey, hang in there. There, There's lots of choices. There's lots of options. And you know what? You're in great company and we can do this.
2: So being a grateful member of the Lucky Fuckers Club, I absolutely love putting this program together. So my challenge, Austin, with this was um, delivery system. How 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 do I take Ben's chateau comprehensive idea and put it in the ears and minds and make it palatable? How do you, how do you make that, you know, acceptable, not even acceptable, but to go a step further and say desirable to the student and the delivery system um, that we came up with to use was using uh, fictitious characters. We use, um a, a a couple of fictitious characters, uh first responders that are maybe conceptually not so fictitious, but but you know names have changed for yeah, yeah. to protect the innocent. Yeah. We all know the, who it is. The, yeah. <laughs> Everybody the, knows. Yeah. But we but we use Somebody. this as a delivery yeah. mechanism to so that so that the student can actually relate conceptually uh and personally to the character and say, oh, small bits of that may be me, maybe the whole portion of that person is me, or maybe that life, you know, overarching umbrella is me that, you know, that to where, you know, and thematically, you know, you don't have to raise your friend, you raise your hand and say, Hey, asking for a friend, if this were to happen, Ben, you know, what would, so we're, we're actually taking that off the table. And Ben and I both teach from a very, interactive oftentimes Socratic method which is even more palatable because the student has some buy-in with it to where it makes that my experience has been you give them that ownership that it makes it much more palatable and desirable uh, from a training standpoint and they get to they get to own it which conceptually uh, you know Ben already said this we're we're trying to humanize this training or humanize this concept these these mental health wellness pieces to where they actually it's it's no longer just a training nugget it's actually something they can say oh this this can improve my life this 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 won't just make my work better this will make my marriage better this will make my parental relationship better really is that okay I'll try it you know that's that's our goal and to date it's been very very well
1: received. Yeah, as as we wrap it up, there's two pieces here. First is you have done this in places before, so I want to hear some feedback uh from you know, p- people that have attended it and then also if somebody wants to contact you about doing the training, how do they do that?
2: Yeah, I, I I'd be more than happy to give Ben, you want you got any feedback you want to chip in there? I've got some. Uh
3: yeah, as far as the feedback, it's it's been pretty cool. Um we we were at a a department recently that was uh I had a chance to do a ride along with with our visit and it is a incredibly tough community to police. And uh yeah when I when I first stepped into the training I thought like no one's gonna say a word ever. Cause this is uh a tough, calm, collected, incredibly professional crowd. And uh I don't know if we're gonna get them to to squeak out any of this mental health stuff. Um and again, our response that we got from that crowd was was pretty awesome. Not only is there people they're going to bring up their, their their dark humor and and bring some light and some some fun to the conversation, which is really welcome. Um, but there's always been some really cool folks in the crowd that speak up and just say, uh, "I'm out of my depth," and this has been great, and this has been really helpful. So we've had you know privately some people speak up and just say, "Hey, this is." this is making a big difference. How do I learn more? How do I do more? Or I I think I might need to go to a facility like this and other folks that have been kind of quiet and saying, I'm, I'm on a pretty dark path. And uh, the cool thing is we've been able to say, Hey, we've, we've got the number for your department peer support. And we will, I mean, it was on the, on the whiteboard right next to us the whole time, but he didn't, but but to be honest, he didn't see it for whatever reason. He may not have noticed it for years. But that was a conversation where we're like, hey, these people that are in your community right now, like they can help, they can get you started. So there's some cool things like that where people have just uh, had a moment, had a little nudge, something poked their hearts and they spoke up. And that that's that's what we want to create is a moment where someone says, ouch, that means something. I'm going to right now in this moment, ask for help before that window closes. And so when they've spoken up, it's been really cool to connect with them privately. And a couple people have come up after classes just saying like, wow, that was great. That was really helpful. But, um, yeah, both publicly and quietly, um, we've seen people say, Hey, either I know, I know someone or it's me. Um, I'm that someone who needs a little bit extra and thanks for bringing it up. So I
2: think, I think I would speak to, and I can't do any better than that from, from a student perspective. I mean, it would be, you know, similar or same, but I think the maybe two additional categories that I would speak to is is one being the mental health uh, practitioner community. We've had some, mm, um, yeah. you know, clinicians go through our course, and you know, one of the one of the most highlighted that I uh, cherish is that this is the best mental health training I've ever attended. Wow, that's you know that either speaks well to us or pretty badly of what on their training they yeah, yeah. they have. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know which, but uh, you know, Both. I. Probably. Okay. Maybe yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know that perspective, but what a great compliment, you know? And then the other, um, you know, the other aspect of it is the leadership, um, you know, the leadership component of, of you know, multiple times different leadership is, has, has said, this was, this was amazing. Uh, thank you for doing this for people. And, and, you know, um, that, that leadership saying this is, you know, how, how can we get you back or, can we, you know, what, what can we do to connect and stay connected? Um, you know, that those, those are two really valuable, uh, components of the first responder community that have given us some, some kudos, and, you know, just kind of, you know, bragging on ourselves a little bit, but I mean, this is a shameless plug for the training. So this is, we feel like we, you know, we're not the answer across the country, but we are, are a part and Ben and I've worked really hard to put this together, put some, put a package deal together to say, Hey, this is, this is something that I think would be good, relevant, important, applicable, and arguably desirable to this community, uh, not just law enforcement and fire, but EMS veterans, uh, corrections, mental health practitioners, leadership, you know, the, the, you know, all the, the facets of this, you know, we, we're we prepared for that. And I think, again, kind of circling back to where we first started was Ben and I teaching us together. This is two traffic, individual specific traffic lanes merging together to bring a clinical and an experiential component to bear. So and then the latter part of your question is how do you get a hold of um, getting the training? If this is something you're interested in, get a hold of me. Uh, you can uh, email me at uh, Brad at Brad chateaurecovery.com. Um, be happy to entertain an email. I'll give you my cell phone 405-245-5139. You can call or text me anytime, uh, email me anytime. Um, the uh, website has some information on it. If you uh, if you desire more information about it, just email me and I can send you a send you kind of a breakdown of of uh, an overview, a clinical overview of the training. What it looks like, um, even up to and including if your state requires most law enforcement agencies and and a few uh, other first responder, but specifically law enforcement, they get CEUs or credits or you know obligatory hours for some of this. If that's required in your state, I'd be more than happy to apply for that. Uh, You just let me know um, what state you're in and how the process by which I can do it. I'd be more than happy to do that, and we can get you know our credit for for the training and we'll bring it to
1: your community love it i want to thank both of you for coming on it's been a been a
0: pleasure
3: yeah thanks for having us appreciate it
0: chateau health and wellness is a 16 bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the wasatch mountains in midway utah chateau's first responder resiliency program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues it addresses the why each of their seasoned trauma trained and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress Chateau Health and Wellness is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031.